Imagine Manly Football Club tried to force Muslim players to wear a jersey which implied they have no religious objections to pig meat. And then when those Muslim players said, no, we actually do have religious objections and we're not going to wear that jersey, Manly Football Club called them intolerant, haters of everyone who likes and eats bacon. Have Muslim players ever refused to play with people who eat bacon, ham or pork? No. Have Christian players ever refused to include people who wear their unholy sexuality like an identity? No. But still, Peter Clown Volandis and the lying harlot media falsely calls them out for having a problem with inclusion and says they're not welcome in the profession because they're against inclusion. Well, as Muslims are with bacon, so Christians are with sexual behaviour outside the God-designed and definition of marriage. Trying to impose culturally irreconcilable beliefs on Christians is the only open display of intolerance and bigotry going on relentlessly and shamelessly in mainstream Australia. No player has a problem playing with adulterers, homosexuals, divorcees or philanderers. But asking Christians to celebrate, affirm and promote that behaviour is like asking a Muslim to promote the splendour and goodness of pig products. It's hateful intolerance. I'm Dave Pello, and this is Pello Talk. May all that you stand for, and that we stand for, be preserved under the providence of God for the happiness of mankind. The trouble is caused by unthinking people who carelessly throw away ageless ideals as if they were old and outworn machines. But it is the values of individual liberty, equality before the law and the supremacy of people over the state to which we can always with confidence return as a powerful and uniting force. Australia is not a secular country. It is a free country. Well, welcome to the show. And as always, we're only going to keep the first 15 minutes of broadcast uh, available on YouTube and Facebook. So if you're watching this now on YouTube and Facebook, uh, thanks for tuning in. And uh, at some stage, this is going to cut off in about uh, 10 to 15 minutes. And we're going to ask you to head to the website, goodsource.news, to watch the rest of it. We're going to try and keep it uh, sensor friendly for that long. Um, but after that point, we're going to flick over to uh, delete these videos off YouTube and Facebook and only keep that first introduction up so we can then talk freely. The full uncensored version of this video, this show, is on goodsource.news, um, thanks to embedded video through Rumble. Now, uh, joining me on the uh, show today, Pello Talk, we have Matthew Littlefield in the studio with me. Welcome, Matt. Hey, Dave. How are you doing? Fantastically, thank you. Uh, and we also have uh, Alexandra Marshall, Good Source regular and uh, the editor of Spectator Australia Online, The Flat White. Welcome, Ellie Melly. Hello. Nice to be here today. And nice to have you uh, gracing this panel of ruffians and men. Uh, joining us and rounding out the ruffians is Bernie Finn from Victoria. Bernie, welcome to Hey, Great to be here once again. Thank you. Now... Uh, I wrote uh, this week that the problem the mainstream media and Manly Football Club have with the Manly Seven uh, comes from a fundamental ignorance. There's, there's this concept that they don't get, um, and it could be willful ignorance or it could just be the fact that so many people haven't been to Sunday school in today's <laughs> culture. And while they're promoting inclusiveness and inclusion, uh, that as itself is a concept, Matt, which um, fundamentally is actually mutually exclusive with an important concept to Christians, and that is the concept of holiness, where we actually uh, are being taught by Jesus and, and Scripture to actually get rid of unholiness out of our lives, to get rid of, of sin. And so to ask us to include the ideas and behaviours which we're commanded not to do is actually an impossibility. What are your thoughts on, on, I guess, on that, your comments? Yeah, well, uh, you could actually argue that inclusive, inclusiveness in, in a lot of contexts is actually by definition the opposite of holiness because to be holy literally means to be distinct. 
That's what it means to be holy. Yeah. It means to be separate, to be separate uh, from the world, separate from particular behaviors. It, it, it literally means to, to remove certain behaviors from your life. Like, for example, sexual sin. Now, there are many different sexual sins. Uh, uh, fornication, adultery, homosexuality, all sorts of these different things for Christians are sins, and we are to shun them yep. and, and get them out of our life. And, and first and foremost, the Christian has to be focused on themselves and their own sin and dealing with sin in their own life. But one thing a Christian, and this is, this is the core of Christianity, one thing that a Christian cannot do, and, and this is just basic 101 Christianity, is support pride as, as a positive thing. Christianity is it is the religion of following the humble servant, mm. Jesus Christ, who gave himself on behalf of all. In Christianity, the one who is the greatest is the one who is servant of all. And Jesus is the greatest because he gave his life to serve all of humanity. So to ask Christians to celebrate pride or to stand and, um, and, and wear the accoutrements of pride is to ask them to go against the basic fundamentals of their religion in a serious way. And I just want to respond to an objection which some people might be forming in their heads or might have heard right now. Well, what about gambling? What about drinking? You know, they wear these jerseys. In fact, you might see I'm actually wearing a football jersey today, although it has an insurance company on the front. <laughs> uh, I'm a Broncos fan. But you, you, you'll see these guys, they wear these jerseys and they have on these jerseys, you know, these betting companies. Uh, uh, Broncos have had ones with betting companies in the past or alcohol sure. companies, VB, Forex, whatever, right? Well, drinking isn't a sin. What was Jesus's first miracle? Turning water into wine. Exactly. Uh, we, will, we, we are told that we will enjoy wine, the best wine. Isaiah 25, I think, verses 6 and 7 says, we will enjoy the best wine in heaven. In fact, in, in Israel, there was this festival. They were commanded to buy whatever drinks they wanted, strong drink or fermented drink of their kind, and whatever food they wanted, and celebrate with their family and friends all the good things that God had given us. It was actually a, a yearly festival in, in, in Deuteronomy for the Israelites to celebrate. Yeah. And when it comes to gambling, obviously, there are destructive behaviors of gambling. And, and I myself personally don't think like things like the pokies or, or casinos or things like this. But gambling isn't actually a sin in the scripture. I mean, there are certain behaviors with your money which are a sin. But yeah, the Bible, yeah. God makes a bet with... But we're never commanded not to. Exactly. In fact, you cannot say gambling is a sin because gambling is just another word for risk. Yeah. And you have to be able to take risks. So these, it, but even if you were to consider these things wrong, say you're a Christian who believes that alcohol is wrong or you believe gambling is wrong, right? Now, that's up to... Now, I don't, want, I don't actually want people to misunderstand you here. You hate gambling, right? Yes, absolutely. And, <laughs> and, and the damage and, and, yeah. And so don't mis mistake this show for for endorsing gambling or, or saying it's holy or something. It, it's just not expressly forbidden um, like uh, like uh, sex outside marriage is. Um, and so there's a distinct difference. But um, it can, like my first bet ever was, and when I gamble, which is infrequently, um, it's purely for fun. Yeah. Uh, I never risk what I can't lose um, and I'm not, you know, abusing uh, the finances and resources God's given me. So in that sense, it's not a sin. But but it certainly can become a sinful behavior because of, of, of various aspects. But not to get bogged down in that. Um, well, there's another point thought. here, which this is, and this is an important point. You cannot judge another person's conscience right. on this issue. For these men, you don't know them. I don't know them. None of us know them, really. Their coach knows them. Their family knows them. We don't know what's going on in their conscience with all the things they have to deal with in rugby league. Could you imagine the pressures put on these young men? Yeah. And some of them are just kids. Right. Yep. But then there's that when it comes to issues of conscience, sometimes there are things in your life where you just have to draw a line and say, I can't go any further. Yep. Uh, a Mangawadi, who's a, a famous theologian and writer, says a man without a conscience is but a beast. Yeah. It, it's one of the distinctive natures of humanity is to have a conscience and to find things uh, just we, we cannot go past certain lines. And that's an important thing to honor in our society. And if we don't honor it, we're going to enter a very terrible time and a very terrible place. And it's actually a very terrible time and place that we used to be in a long time ago. And we've come out of because of the concept of defending conscience, the concept of advocating for people's conscience. You do not know. I do not know what was going on inside those men's heads. What we do know publicly is they found a line they couldn't cross. And, and not knowing... Nobody should attempt to coerce their conscience. Exactly. Let me bring in uh, Bernie here. Bernie, um, the the football club going on. You're an, an AFL fan, maybe not so uh, much into. 
We're wearing the tiger colours today. Thank you very much. Having beaten Brisbane yesterday at the MCG, very pleased. <laughs> the, the tiger's getting a shout out there. Um, Bernie, you know, where obviously Christians do like including people um, and, and we're, we're not a, a holy club uh, where lepers need not apply. Um, it, it's actually a whole bunch of people who fall short and are, are seeking to be yeah. better. Well, most of us where are. Is, where, where is the line um, where uh, inclusiveness is actually a contradiction of, of um, what, uh, you know, what, what's unfair to actually ask of a Christian to mm. do because you think, because a football club thinks they know um, how a Christian should behave? Yeah, well, I have to say, I think watching what Manly have been up to this uh, this past week or so has been absolutely astounding. Uh, but, uh, you know, when you force somebody to go against their conscience, uh, you are, in fact, attacking them in a direct and a very, very vicious manner. Uh, everybody has the right to conscience. Everybody has the right to uh, uh, to, to freedom of, of religion, to freedom of expression, to, to, to those rights that we, we used to take for granted. Uh, but um, for those people who step in, as Mr. Volandias, who uh, must be a very, very strange man, is all I can say, um, as, as he did this week, uh, saying that, um, um, you know, every, everybody can be uh, inclusive except Christians, uh, which is what he said. Effectively, that's what he said. Uh, yep. who, who say that sort of thing uh, are quite nuts. And, you know, we, we've had uh, just today uh, here in Victoria, uh, we've had uh, Satan's little helper, uh, Fiona Patton, uh, announce that she's going to uh, try and legislate to force religious hospitals, uh, specifically Catholic ones, I assume, um, to uh, to commit abortion. So you know that that's another another for forcing of um, uh, of, of an evil um, on people uh, of people of faith, and and that that's just not on. But it's happening every day. It's happening every day, uh, and uh, we we have to draw the line somewhere. The line is is uh, we, I, I hope we haven't already crossed it. In fact, but we certainly yeah. have to. We ha I, I certainly hope we uh, we get to it very very soon because this is getting way way beyond a joke. Yeah, indeed. Um, what we uh, have to do is say a big thanks to George Christensen, who's um, streaming this show on, on his Facebook page today as well. Um, so a big hello to all uh, George Christensen's fans. Uh, he sends his apologies. He'd like to be with us today, but his computer's actually uh, in the midst of getting repairs. So um, I'm unable to join us, but make sure you uh, watch his page again at the same time next week, and he'll be joining us on that panel again. But uh, for everybody uh, who's watching, please share the video, invite other people to join us in just a few minutes. We will be um, ending the clip and, um, and uh, only this much will be available forever on Facebook and YouTube. Um, and then we'll be asking you to watch the rest of the show on goodsource.news to make sure we can say things which the censors don't like, such as facts. Now, Alexandra Marshall, um, it seems like what's happening here, and we're going to talk about other ways the left is doing this, but it seems like what they're actually doing is legitimising their own approved version of bigotry. Um, your thoughts on that? Well, let me make three really quick points and you can debate me on the merits of them after I finish. The first is if it had been a genuine sponsorship and there was a little logo somewhere of a, of a company that was LGBT positive, it would have been far harder for anybody to object to their contractual arrangements with rugby league. So that's one point I make. And it was not a sponsorship. It was a declaration outside of their contractual arrangements. Yeah. So that's one thing. Uh, the second is it's not necessarily a religious thing. I mean, I'm not religious and I wouldn't walk out wearing a pride jumper. I mean, almost all of my best friends are gay men, but though I'm not down at the parade, I don't run around in glitter, it's not my thing. And you shouldn't be asking people to go against what they were their general beliefs and make them affirm the sexual relationships of strangers. It's a bizarre request to make in the first place. But the main point is sport is the great unifier because it doesn't bring politics or race, or religion into the field. The idea is that you come there, you play sport, and you come together around sport. So the idea that we're going to start bringing sport, uh, sorry, we're going to start bringing commercialised virtue signalling into sport is what is destroying it. It is basically what you would call an unreasonable request on the players. So instead of uh, having a go at the players making choices that you don't like, they should not have been asked to make the choice in the first place because it's not relevant to the sport. 
And this is where we're getting really confused. I mean, it's all started from the fact that we had commercialization putting all these banners all over the players and all over the fields. And then those companies started to compete in the virtual Olympics. And they've brought this competitive idea of how to make more money off activist victim groups into sport. And it's not about the players. It's not about their beliefs. It's about these companies trying to market themselves on the television and, and in the advertising campaigns. And that is fundamentally wrong. And someone should pull them up and say, hey, guys, it's about sport. If you want to be unifying, then leave all this stuff out. You're making sport a divisive uh, entity. And that is it's just wrong. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 100%. Um, for everybody's information as well, the live stream is not on goodsource.news today. Um, and the live stream won't be interrupted on Facebook or YouTube. Uh, it will just be deleted when it's finished. And then we will replace it with the first 15 minute clip. Uh, so that's actually probably a great place to, to talk about that now. Um, that if you're watching this clip, um, then it is actually going to end in just a second and the video will be available for you to watch on goodsource.news. Please go and check that out right now. It's our way of uh, being on YouTube and Facebook without supporting the business of YouTube and Facebook because they don't support free speech and uh, the free contest of ideas. Uh, so we need to make sure we minimise their revenue as much as possible. Head over to goodsource.news dot uh, news to watch that now goodsource.news um, but if you're watching the live stream um, then we can continue watching right now we're going to uh, keep on going Matt I'm um, going to throw it to you now quickly finish your drink um, <laughs> um, your topic for today what did you want to bring to to the panel all right so just let me open up my computer there's a couple of things I want to refer to on here but other than that what I want to talk about this morning uh, this afternoon I should say is very simple today tonight this morning on this blessed day. <laughs> At this moment in time. <laughs> what I want to talk about is, is can the West beat China? There's a lot of discussion about the potential for World War III, and some would argue it's already started, and it probably already has with what's going on in Ukraine and Northern Europe. We're, we're seeing uh, the beginnings of the conf conflagrations, the, the, the conflict happening. In fact, those of you who remember World War II or remember there was a little bit of fighting at the start, and then there wasn't any fighting for months. And it was actually called the phony war for a time because there wasn't much going on while, while sides were gathering their resources to fight. So we might already be in it. But the question I want to ask is, can the West beat World War III? And if you had to talk about this with most people, many people would say, well, of course we can. I mean, we've already got a good record. We're, we're two and two. Uh, America and Britain won World War One. They won World War Two. America can win World War III. And it, the wisest thing to do is to ally with them in that effort. And many people would argue the reason why the West... Uh, why, why, why America, particularly the Anglo-Saxon nations and, and the allies won the war comes down to basically the supremacy of that way of life, the Western way of life and, and the technological and, and the, the moral way of life that America and Britain were presenting. But also they would argue the righteous cause. So those are sort of the moral reasons, but practically they would argue the strength of the British Empire, which was global at the time, and the growing strength of what would eventually become the American Empire. But the main reason why America and its allies won World War II comes basically down to something very simple, and that is industry. America was the most powerful industrial base in the world in the 1930s and the 1940s. Europe, in fact, the whole world had gone through a depression and there were lots of things happening. And we all know famously how Germany was able to scramble its way out of that. But over on the other side of the world, there was this sleeping dragon called the United States which had an industrial base, the like of which the world had not yet seen and didn't even fully recognize until it fully came to life during the war. And many people aren't aware of this, but if you'd like to read about this, you can look up uh, some stuff written by uh, historians called, uh, one called McMeekin, who wrote uh, Stalin's War, or, or Sukharov, who wrote The Chief Culprit. And what they've argued and what they've shown historically is that America was not just the strongest industrial base in the world, America almost single-handedly enabled the Allies to win because not only did they sell many of their arms to Britain, strengthening the British effort, they actually gave more military arms and equipment to Russia for free than Germany was able to produce in the entire war. And that's on top of Russia's own industrial base, which they have. It wasn't very strong compared to America or Germany, but when you add in America's strength, plus you add in America's efforts, which they put into the continent, Germany was always going to lose because they didn't have the military or industrial base to compete 
with Russia, America, and Britain combined, but even America by itself, the population and industrial base. Now let's bring this into the modern world. Who has the biggest manufacturing base in the world? The answer is very simple, isn't it? It's China. Uh, China outstripped the world. Most of our manufacturing has been moved either to China or very close to China to its, to its allies. Not only is uh, China got a superior manufacturing base, it has one of the largest populations in the world. So it has one of the biggest pools mm. or resources with which to draw from to invest into both military might and industrial base. But we want to add to this. One of the advantages the West has had for so long, and this is the fallback position many people might have to what I'm saying, is we're technologically superior. And that has been true up until very recently. You see, China has just recently made new breakthroughs in their seven nanometer chip making process, reportedly developing tools and know-how for several segments of the manufacturing process. In other words, to put this into plain English, China can now make seven nanometer computer processors, semiconductors, which allows them to make the most advanced computer processors in the world. To put that into context, Taiwan currently can do the same, so can South Korea, but the United States at the moment can only produce 12 nanometer processors. Gee. In other words, China has leapfrogged the United States technologically. So they have the manufacturing base, they have the population base, and they now have the technological base. Now, I want to ask you another question. You say, well, can't we just ally with Taiwan? Of course. But what country is Taiwan next to? In fact, if you would ask most Chinese people, what country is Taiwan part of, which itself is a controversial issue. But you, you, this would be like the Roman Empire putting all of their food crops just outside the Persian Empire and thinking, we're going to be okay, we can just go get them. Of course not. You go to war, what's the Persian Empire going to do? It's going to take all those food crops to take them out of Rome's hands. Now, they not only have this, they also have a geological, a geographical advantage because they need resources. Well, because of recent efforts of the West, what has happened? Well, China has been pushed into a closer relationship with one of the most resource-rich countries in the world, which just happens to be on its border. You guessed it. That is Russia. They also have an ethnic and cultural unity, the like of which the West did have in the time of World War II, but does not have now. So the question I want to ask is, can we beat this? As things stand today, not only do I not think we can beat it, I think we would lose resoundedly. But if we wanted to beat it, how could we beat it? And these are my suggestions. Governments must stop trading with these powers and giving them our resources and strength, especially our resources. Australia has to really wisen up here. There must be a focus on local manufacturing. What makes countries strong is their ability to make things and not have to rely on other countries for them. We must stop all pretense about climate change. I mean, we're not building coal fire plants here, but China is building hundreds of them because they know how useful they are for a strong manufacturing base, for cheap energy, and to make your nation strong. We also need to encourage local demographic growth like Hungary, which incentivizes people to have kids by after they have the third or fourth kid, they no longer have to pay tax. The reason why that is, is because you need a population base to be able to face other countries. Mm. And government must invest billions in setting up this manufacturing base. And no, that is not socialism. That is industrial capitalism, where the government and industry work together to make sure that there is an infrastructure upon which private enterprise can grow. Because that is what made us rich. That's how the Holden Motoring Company became the car manufacturer that we know and love. That was the strength of Australia's manufacturing base. And that is exactly the strategy which China is doing, which Russia is doing, which, which India is doing, and other growing powers are doing. So I think once the West has done this, then we would be on a more equal playing field. Until that point, I think it would be crazy to talk about war with China. Alexandra, Psychedelic says something interesting here. China promoting masculinity now, Anglo-American cultural Marxism demeaning it. How much do you think that's relevant, the, the difference in the way uh, Chinese media and, and even their military are advertising compared to the way uh, max masculinity in the West seems to be necessarily paired with the word toxic? Well, both sides have some severe weaknesses. In the West, it's primarily in the fact that we don't want to fight. So we've got the idea of the Greens where they think they can hug it out. We've also got, which is linked to your Marxism, masculinity, where you want to sort of withdraw from this 
uh, strength of uh, society which you require if you want to win a war. Uh, the second is that we gave an arsenal to terrorists in in uh, in Afghanistan, which is a huge problem. It's a whole army sitting down there, which you don't want, that uh, is available to China and Russia. Um, and the third is we've got idiot politicians who have been blind to the risk of global war for the last 20 years, which is astounding. It's like they've never read any history and they think we're now in this perpetual peace as if they don't understand human nature at all. There mm. are three major weaknesses. And now I do agree that we should stop trading and stop propping up these communist regimes that want to expand into other people's territories. Mm. Uh, we do have some strengths. And one is our position right now is significantly better than it was before the war with Ukraine. And as terrible as it sounds, Russia has been deeply disempowered by pouring its resources into conflict in Europe where before they would have been directed toward a joint effort in the Pacific. So that is one of the reasons why Xi Jinping withdrew his forces surrounding Taiwan after the first couple of weeks of the Russian war because it didn't go how he thought. Now he's watching the tra his trading partner there and, and their situation, which is a lesson for big empires. The other thing is that large populations are great for fast wars. They're terrible for prolonged engagements because... There's a, you can have a large population, which is good, but if you've got a huge population, it be, can become a, a rapid drain on resources because you've still got to feed that billion, 1.4 billion people, and most of them are not contributing to the war effort. And so if you get disrupted supply lines of any kind, which will happen to China, they are a net importer of food, uh, or any kind of power outs or supplies of water shortages, those people are going to start turning on the government. And so the government ends up fighting an internal war and an external war. And that is how most large empires collapse during prolonged wars. And the other thing is you said that they're resource rich and that is correct. However, to get those resources into China, they are networked by a series of pipelines which can be destroyed and then they're very difficult to rebuild. Or if you were to take out something like the Three Gorges Dam, you can cause mass devastation because they've over-engineered their sustainability. So they're relying on technology to be intact in order to feed and water their people. And if it's not in a war, then things collapse very quickly with huge populations. So, and I'd also say America still has their geographic advantage. They are still separate from Asia. And that will assist in any Pacific conflict. Australia, meanwhile, is completely screwed because we've got people like Labor and Adam Band who have done nothing uh, to help to protect against China since they've got into office. And we've had liberals for more than a decade doing things like giving tens of billions of dollars to France for submarines that don't exist. I mean, we have been led extremely poorly by people who have no idea what the world looks like when empires rise and fall. And that is a disappointment. Yeah, 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 indeed. Bernie, have mm -hmm. you got uh, some thoughts on on uh, China and, you know, can the West beat them? Um, if so, how? And is this a question that even needs asking? Is China uh, really a big threat that demands a lot of attention? I think China is the hugest threat in the world today to not just to us, but uh, to, to world peace. I mean, the, these people, this latest regime, uh, they are uh, hell-bent on, on world domination. Now, how they go about that, that's uh, a matter for, uh, for debate, I suppose, among themselves. But uh, it will happen. It will happen. There is, there is nothing surer. And what concerns me is that uh, they will be able to take Australia by lunchtime Monday. Uh, you know, it, it won't be a big deal for them because, uh, quite frankly, there are very few people in Australia um, who are prepared to fight. Uh, and uh, you look at, at some of the, the people around now who are just so, uh, so soft uh, that they are, um, you know, they, they, just, they just don't want to get involved in anything that's hard. Uh, yeah. And fighting a war, well, you know, that, that's just out of the question altogether. Uh, so I, I'm just desperately concerned of what's going to happen uh, when, when this does occur. Uh, we, we don't have the... Um, uh, we don't. We don't have the uh, the manpower. We don't have the firepower. Uh, we we don't seem to have anything at all, which is going to stop them. I mean, they will be able to just roll in here, uh, and uh, you know, we may be able to have the Americans uh, come to our aid. But with Biden in charge, who would know? Uh, he certainly wouldn't. Uh, and what concerns me more than anything else is that China uh, sees Australia as uh, as easy pickings. Uh, and, you know, I, I think we probably are at this point in time. We need a major turnaround. Like I'm talking about now, now, we need major turnaround and we need a major change uh, in attitude, a major change in, um, in priorities. Uh, and as, as has been said, uh, the, the global uh, climate change, 
got to stop calling it global warming because I, I I'm get, get told off by people. Uh, but the climate change <laughs> thing is just a, just an, an absolute nonsense. It's an absolute nonsense. I mean, there is nothing there is nothing that Australia can do, even if climate change is caused by carbon dioxide, which I, I very much doubt anyway. But there's nothing yeah. Australia can do. So we are we are sacrificing um, our future both in peacetime uh, and in wartime, uh, for the sake of something that just isn't happening and, and we can't stop it anyway. So um, it's, it's just, uh, it, it's just uh, quite extraordinary. And I'm, this, this, you know, this, this climate change has been happening since the beginning of time. To think that you know, if we roll over and allow the Chinese to, to take us, that we're going to stop it? Really? I mean, really? You know, yeah, you, yeah. you've got to wonder about the intelligence levels of people who who, who go along with this sort of thing, uh, and then and then you've got you've got uh, you know as 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 Andrew said was was the um uh, the, the Greens in particular who were uh, you know they the, the only thing they all fight for is is not to have a bath. Uh, and and that is you know that that's something that concerns me once again because they have got enormous power you know they've got enormous power they've got they've got the balance of power in the Senate you know in 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 Canberra in, in mm -hmm. control basically of the whole shooting match uh, and if that doesn't terrify anyone um, well then you you can't be terrified uh, it, it's just horrendous. Can yeah. I um add two quick things I forgot. Uh, the first is that Trump was right. The best way to defeat China is to withdraw money and manufacturing from China because it causes an internal collapse. And if China is busy trying to work out what to do with its collapsing factories and middle class, then they're not prepared to fight a war. So that was the smartest way to avoid war with China. Uh, mm -hmm. And yeah. instead of following in his footsteps, we decided to start re-empowering China, and that's Labor's current policy, which is a total disaster for world peace. Uh, yeah. The other is... We have to talk about Japan because Japan has already said that Taiwan is the line in the sand. If China goes after Taiwan, Japan is going to attack China. They've made that perfectly clear over several different uh, conferences and engagements. And Japan is not like Australia. They are not calm and, and huggable and all the rest of it. They have historical uh, things to settle with China. They do not like China and they are not prepared to lose their trade routes out of the Pacific which are crucial to Japan existing. And also Japan's trying to settle its deep sea mining, which is full, it's their future of, of all of their prosperity. So they are not going to let China just run through the Pacific like that. And yeah. uh, Japan will decide whether or not the world goes to war, not America and not Australia. And once Japan goes, the rest of the world will have to line up behind Japan. Can I just say? Can I just say also, Dave, that um, as as has has just been said by Alexander, that the uh, you know that the, the Trump was was going along very very nicely um, until uh, the Wuhan virus hit, uh, and and that undid him. Uh, where did that come from? China. Uh, so yeah. you you know you you don't have to be a Rhodes Scholar to put two and two together uh, and and come up with, um, with with what probably happened there. Yeah, Trump's strategy of the trade war with China, where he was uh, instantly increased the wealth of middle class in America. It was bringing back manufacturing. It was, it was actually, it was actually starting to freak out elements of the, you know economic experts in China, and and America was winning uh, because mm. they were starting to protect their economy. And we need to do the same thing. I actually don't agree that if Japan goes to war, we should go right in there with them. Uh, I, one of the um, the number of precipitative causes for war in history is alliance guarantees. A lot of people don't know this, but uh, the three government members in the, uh, in the was it Lloyd? Uh, anyway, the Prime Minister's government, uh, when uh, Churchill was the, um, the, senior, uh, the senior military guy, and they had a couple of people, they made a secret pact with France to go to war if they were attacked by Germany. Now, there had been multiple wars between France and Germany in the 19th century, and they were regional wars, and, and Britain stayed out of them. What made them world wars was the world power guaranteeing to back up one of the other significant powers. But, but, at the same time, but at the same time, I mean, we learned the, the lesson from World War II, which is if you let an expansionist communist power that is determined to start conquering neighboring territories and move through the world as a conqueror. If you, if big nations just step by and let them keep taking one island, another nation, another nation, you end up with a world war eventually, but you have a more powerful adversary. If you draw the line sooner and harder, then you are less likely to end up in a prolonged conflict. 
So but sometimes you need to give a country a really nasty large snap instead of just do, what, doing what we did with Hitler, which is, oh, you can have part of that or you can have part of that or we're not going to do that because we don't want to end up in a conflict. That was the mentality of Britain in the last war and it didn't work and it had to be reversed because it just doesn't work. If your idea is world domination, that is not going to change for Xi Jinping. He will keep going until he crosses a line that no one can allow. Exactly well, right. There's nothing wrong with being Switzerland in that scenario. We're not a world power. I mean, America's a world power. But we're not a Switzerland. We've got coal. He, they want what we've got. China sees us as a resource chest that they want to possess. So we're not a Switzerland. We have mm. assets that they require, which means they're going to come for those assets. We're basically a little buffet train in the Pacific. Does anybody seriously think that Australia is going to have any choice in this at all? I mean, as you say, we are sitting here, we've got uranium, we've got coal, we've got everything that they could possibly want. They will come and they will take us if that's what they I, I agree with what Brian is saying here, and, and this is what Switzerland does, is it arms its citizens. Uh, but this is something the government is afraid of. Um, they're afraid of a citizenry that can actually say no to tyranny, tyranny uh, whether foreign or domestic. And we should be able to say no to tyranny, especially foreign, um, but not excluding domestic. We should be able can to... Can we make an exemption for Antifa? I don't really want to arm the uh, the vegan what? Antifa. Mm. Oh, well, I just want to point uh, that out. I, I, it might make CPAC a little difficult. It's a, it's a cute point, um, but, you know, I, I ran this event where 300 Antifa tried to assault and abuse innocent men, women and children attending a private talk fest on private property. Um, and the monopoly on violence, which Victoria Police had and didn't use, um, made it an incredibly hard event to successfully hold. Now, if those 300 Antifa, even if they had have been armed, um, I don't know that half of them would have been as enthusiastic if they had have expected um, the people who were coming to have concealed carry permits. I, I think, you know, um, they would be a lot well, less brave if people were able to defend themselves and, and had the right of self-defence in Australia, which... Yeah, can I speak to that? Which, and here's the reality of the situation, yeah. why Antifa were so brazen, is because the rule that's inescapable, like the rule of gravity, is the person who is most committed to violence will win. And Victoria Police in 2018 absolutely demonstrated that when it comes to countering Domestic terrorists like Antifa, Antifa, um, they are not willing to be the most violent. That Antifa were the only arrest Victoria Police made that night, despite um, massive damage to private property and, uh, and, and this abuse and intimidation and, and terrorism of innocent private citizens attending a private event. The only arrest they made was for an assault on police. Mm. You can do what you like to a conservative crowd. Um, mm. and, and yeah, I mean, the... the Disarming of Australian citizens is an appalling invitation for tyrants to manifest. Matt. Yeah, I, I actually do think we got to say, Bernie, I'm not a pacifist, by the way. I just want to make that I was actually in the, in the Australian Army. I was in infantry. I was in the reserves. Didn't see action. But I'm not a pacifist. The real soldiers. Yeah, we were both reserves. I was, I was a chocolate soldier, as they say. But, um, but we do get to say there's an apocryphal story, but it, it, it's true in what it teaches, but it's not true that it actually happened. That a, a Swiss general was sitting down with a German general, and they were having dinner. And the the Swiss, the German general said, "Look, I've got six hundred thousand men. You've got three hundred thousand men. What are you going to do if we invade?" And the Swiss general responded, "We'll shoot twice." And that's the attitude of the Swiss during World War II. That's the attitude Australians have to have. I mean, you say China's this global power that's going to pick a fight with the whole world. Maybe possible, right? I actually think it's more the other side who's picking it. That's my personal opinion, but we can debate that. doesn't matter which way it is, right? Afghanistan is a minor backwater in, in the middle of basically nowhere, and the largest empire, the biggest power in the world, couldn't hold it because they had the same attitude as the Swiss. I agree with you, Bernie, uh, what you said before, that we need Australians to toughen up. We don't, don't just need to toughen up. We need to make ourselves a hard target. We need to make sure that anyone who thinks they can just take our resources is going to pay for every square inch. Yep. We need to protect well, look at, ourselves. We need to look be at who we had before. Yeah. Uh, with violence look, and blood. Look at the Australians we had before. My grandfather was uh, a, a soldier in the Second World War, and uh, he came off a farm where he was barefoot with a shotgun hunting rabbits and animals. That's how he lived. And uh, when they, because he was so poor, he signed up to the army, and the first thing he signed up for was being a sniper paratrooper. 
Like these yeah. are people who aren't afraid of uh, defending their country and risk. And they're the sort of people that scare the living heck out of an opposition. But I mean, I'm only a girl, but I still reckon I could take half of Antifa. Uh, if you gave me an umbrella, I'd love to see that. I would love to see that. <laughs> that would be fun. I mean, I don't so even know. Just give me, my umbrella should be just fine, or even my uh, my uh, laptops. I think it's coated in steel or something, so that should work hey, just uh, fine. Ellie, uh, speaking of umbrellas, you've got a little ad for umbrellas you need to share with us. <laughs> You know what? I didn't even realise that was the perfect segue. Okay, yes. So uh, if you guys were to subscribe to The Spectator today, we have a great deal on not only is it $10 for 10 issues, but we're also giving away free umbrellas. I was going to say to shield you from lefty tears, but it might also work as a good self-defence as well if you're at the next conference. So sign up to The Spectator today. We write for you. We tell the stories that mainstream press will not. So uh, join us, spectator.com.au. To uh, turn the umbrella upside down and collect the uh, leftist tears, um, uh, that would be uh, the fun way to use the umbrella when you when you head to CPAC. Um, subscriptions. Say again, Bernie? Better still collect the subscriptions. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Thanks, Bernie. <laughs> hey, uh, time for a little ad. Um, this Thursday night, there's a book launch in Beanley, um, southeast Queensland, and uh, we're going to be promoting... Uh, this book, which Matthew Littlefield is one of the authors of, and um, it is called Defending Conscience, How Baptists Reminded the Church to Defy Tyranny, and uh, along with the church reminded the whole world. Uh, people like John Locke significantly mentioned in the book. Um, and, uh, that yeah, fantastic book. You can order it right now. If you're not in southeast Queensland and you can't make it to the uh, to the book launch, um, you can head to defendingconscience.com and get yourself a copy there now. Uh, if you're watching this overseas, um, the book is available in Amazon. You'll be able to get it uh, quickly and printed locally, um, care of the conservative's friend, Amazon Printing. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so get, grab that book, Defending Conscience, right now. And if you can, come along to Defending Conscience. You get to meet Matt, myself. Um, uh, we're going to have Pat Masidi who's going to be speaking uh, about the voice that the church should have, the church that's all of us, not just pastors, um, as, as well as, um, you know, some, some fair and accurate criticism about the silence. Uh, because, and and that's, why we, that's why Matt wrote this book, is because uh, people didn't understand the role that the church has in defending conscience and defending uh, fighting tyrants. Um, that's exactly what centuries of church history has taught us, as, as well as scripture. Um, it's not the uh, it's not a selfish pursuit. It's actually a Christian pursuit. Um, so grab that book, and I would love to see you uh, at the Kingdom Hope facility in Beanley um, this Thursday night. So tickets for that just cover the cost of catering. Uh, we have some canapes and drinks on arrival, um, and and then we'll be kicking off speeches around seven pm. So yeah, defendingconscience.com. Grab your tickets. Grab your copies of the book there. And um, we'll see you there. Also, we'd love to see. And can people... I just ask, uh, Matt, Matt? Can I just ask? Uh, could you send uh, you know three or four dozen uh, copies of that book to the Australian Catholic Bishops Conference? Uh, <laughs> because I think I think there's a few there who desperately need to read it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're probably right. There's a, there's a, there's a there's I know I'm right. Else. Believe me. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of uh, denominations. Uh, in fact, that's exactly why we wrote it because myself and my co-writer Tim Grant who's also a Baptist minister and a wonderful friend of mine and a very smart guy, we were just flabbergasted. We were shocked. The silence from the denominational leaders mm -hmm. across the country. Yep. Uh, yep. We were just, we were blown away by it. And we just thought, literally, seriously, I was sitting there at times thinking, well, it's not my role to speak. It's, it, this, is the, this is our leader's job to speak. And so we, we, we gave them a chance and we gave them time <laughs> and uh, yeah. they didn't speak. And, they, and mm -hmm. some still to speak it's just wrong but uh, maybe yeah. we can get a, get some copies to them we'll see <laughs> we're going to need some sponsors for that look part of uh this, this is published by lock press which is one of the enterprises of myself and good source and what we're trying to do is actually help conservative authors like um, like tim grant and matthew littlefield and uh, augusta zimmerman and rocco loacano uh, who wrote uh, deconstructing scomo um, hopefully we'll have a book by Alexandra Marshall coming out. I'm trying. I'm trying. I need more than five seconds. To, I've got I've got literally <laughs> 700 pages of articles, okay? I've written stuff. I'm just trying to get it into a book. 
Uh, we, anyway, the, the point is we want to not just publish these books. There are great conservative publishers out there, but we want to help authors self-publish so they can actually make more profits um, from their activity and, and that way we can help um, subsidise and, and fund uh, the kind of right thinking that Australia needs uh, more of so, so people don't have to come home from their day job and then start being a thinker, but they can actually spend entire years immersed in in solving some of the problems and arguments and, and advancing our, our society forward in a way that um, progressives uh, are allergic to. Uh, yeah. Tim Grant says he's stuck in Mount Isa. It's a bit far to drive, yeah. Um, the, the, the reality is um, you'd lose money flying somebody in from, <laughs> from uh, Mount Isa, and the whole idea is to put, put more money um, into their careers so that we can encourage them that way. If you'd like to help encourage them, please head to defendingconscience.com, grab your copy or uh, come to the book launch this Thursday night. It's going to be a fantastic night. Matt's going to be speaking. There's going to actually be three short speeches and, and then the keynote from, um, from Pat Mercedi. So that'll be fantastic. As many of you have already bought tickets, thank you. Um, Bernie, I want to talk to uh, turn to your topic uh, right now, your contribution that you can uh, lead us on to, to kick off. Uh, and that is not only the left's legitimization of bigotry, as we saw with, uh, you know, trying to compel Christians to advertise homosexual behavior, um, but now the the actual legitimization of racism, <clears throat> as Anthony Albanese is leading in the federal parliament and your own fine dictator, I mean, Premier, did in yep. the Victorian parliament. Yes, the, the despot himself is uh, working together with, uh, well, somebody uh, to put together a treaty with, uh, well, somebody. Uh, they're, they're putting it through uh, Parliament at the moment uh, and it will undoubtedly go through. It's got the support of the Liberals, believe it or not. Uh, but uh, that's not surprising with the, the Victorian Liberal Party. But, uh, you know, my, my, I'm just astounded by this because the people who have been accusing us um, of being racist for years are now committing racism themselves. Um, to fight racism. So if, if you can follow this at all, I am at a total loss. It, it, is just, uh, it is just beyond me. I mean, what we're saying or what they're saying, what they're saying is that um, we can somehow change what happened 100 or maybe 200 years ago uh, by uh, committing racist acts now. Um, I mean, those people who, who either committed that racism or were victims of that racism 150 years ago, uh, I've got news for the, the, the government and, and for, the, for the Prime Minister, uh, they're dead. They're not here anymore. So yep. there's nothing that we can do to change history. Uh, so what, what, we what we have now is a, a government at, at here in Victoria at a, at a state level and uh, obviously at a, at a federal level um, who wants to um, institutionalise racism. Now, I'm the leader of a party in Victoria, the DLP, which was the very first party to call for an end to the, to the white Australia policy. Uh, we are not going to change our mind now. I mean, this is this is racist. I mean, some people will say it's 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 uh, it's it's counter racist. It's not. It's just racist. It's just racist. I mean, racism is racism. If you make decisions uh, based on somebody's race or somebody's skin colour, that's racism, and that yes. is what is proposed both by the Prime Minister uh, and uh, and the Premier of Victoria. Uh, it's wrong, it's a nonsense, and if we allow this to continue, um, well, the, the whole country will, you know, we might as well give it to China anyway. Uh, it, it's just uh, it's just a total a total waste of time. You know, I am not prepared, I am not prepared, and I will, will not ever vote for racism. Um, and that's what uh, these, these um, uh, do-gooders, as they used to be, uh, now expecting us to do. I won't do it just won't do it. I mean, I, I refuse to stand every day when we have the acknowledgement of country. I refuse to stand uh, when they when they go through all that, not because I have anything to, anything against the Aboriginal people, but in fact, I believe that they are equal to me, to everybody else, that we are all equal. And I wouldn't stand if it was if it was German Australians, if it was French Australians, if it was Italian Australians, uh, you know, we are all equal and nobody... Or Anglo-Australians. Change that. Or Anglo-Australians, Bernie. Or Anglo-Australians, indeed, yes. Or, 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 or Irish Australians. Or Irish, Celtic mm. Australians. There's, there's no need to distinguish any group of citizens or ethnicity at all. It's, no. It's pernicious racism, divisiveness, and, yep. and introducing a, a class system. Um, I mean, the, 
the ridiculousness of this legislation is is profound. Um, it's, just, it's definitive racism. The only yeah. reason the left change the definition of racism to excuse themselves, the way they change the definition is uh, only white people can be racist, um, yeah. which is which is itself racist. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's so not- any kind of situation. Uh, any kind of deck loaded to serve any group other than whites um, can't be can't be unjust. That's it's uh, pure justice if you disadvantage white people. It's pure justice if you stack the decks in favour of any minority group. Um, and so, no, no, creating a special class of elite Australians um, deserving of of extra democratic representation. Um, is is um, you know that's normal that's justice to a, a leftist perverted mind, um, but and that's exactly what it is. It's perversion, distortion, corruption. Mm, it, Think of any yep. synonym for those words. Um, what they've had to do is undefine the word racism to to excuse themselves of the guilt of racism because they seek to legitimise racism. Mm, mm. Alexandru, chip in here. What are your thoughts on? Uh, Daniel Andrews' uh, treaty um, with uh, the Aboriginal tribes of Victoria and and Anthony Albanese's um, notion, of, without any detail, of of a voice to Parliament for various tribes of Aboriginals in Australia. Well, it's not just racism because racism is one thing, but it's actually racial supremacy. And black supremacy is just as evil and toxic as white supremacy. And what we're seeing here now is attaching value and worth and legal supremacy to race. And it it does a few things. The first thing it does is invite people to go and try and use their genes to validate their ability to gain money and power from a, a political system, which is it's just a recipe for all of the worst parts of history that Australia, thankfully, has never had before. But now we're going to regress and introduce this kind of Stone Age mentality, which is it's just Europe got rid of it with Australia. We had a fresh start. And why the Marxists want to bring this back is simply for their own selfish pursuit of money, which is terrible. Uh, the second thing is this. I, everyone can play grievance politics, especially Europeans who have been enslaved, tortured, starved, ruined, dispossessed. I mean, Europeans have had thousands of years of trauma against them by hundreds of different tribes and empires. But the problem is grievance politics gets you nowhere. It destroys your future. And encouraging Indigenous people to look backwards and try and use the past as a way to make money in the future is preventing Indigenous people from making a life of their own in prosperity uh, like everybody else has been doing for the last couple hundred years. One of the great strengths of the UK has been our ability to just forget all the horror that happens to us and move forward to keep carrying on. That is how they became a global empire. It was this this idea of uh, of moving forward at all times to try and pursue the best parts uh, of their future. And that is the opposite to what uh, these Marxist groups are teaching the Indigenous people of Australia. And they're telling them to go back to their race, to use their race as a way to make money. I mean, this is despicable it's racism it's supremacy and it has no value and no role in australia and anyone who pushes it is either looking for political power of the worst parts of humanity or they're trying to make some money mm. yep matt matthew littlefield um are russia and china at all encouraged by this kind of uh self vandalism in in the west absolutely i mean i would love to see my enemies fighting amongst themselves I mean, it's 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 what you want to see. It wasn't that um, the one of the key strategies of obelisk and asterisk in those cartoons <laughs> to get the Romans fighting themselves yeah. while they just caused havoc. Great Western <laughs> literature. <laughs> but it, it's, it's just a, a funny co- a, a comic building on what you want. You want to see your enemies fighting amongst themselves. I mean, but this is the inevitable the inevitable result of multicultural policy of the last 40, 50 years. As multiculturalism increases. Conflict increases, and and people start to want to build on their identity, uh, their, their their ethnic identity, their religious, whatever identity it is, to get ahead in society. And, and it's also it's, the rewarding of victimhood, like what you just said. It's rewarding victimhood. It's yeah. not just multiculturalism. It's saying you're a victim because of your culture, and then giving you money or prestige. That's it's a terrible. Twisted, uh, her- heretical version of the Christian doctrine of 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 honouring and and protecting the weak. 
we're now not just letting the first be la last be first. We're now celebrating the last and saying that you're special because you're this or you're that. It, it, it's, a, it's a ridiculous thing, but it's, it's just what happens. I mean, Lee Kuan Yew, the founder of Singapore, had to deal with a multicultural nation and he did it successfully. Maybe we should look at what he did because it's now here to stay. It's not going to change. Um, and we're going to have various different versions of this happening over the coming years because uh, there is power in it. As you said, I, I think you both said it actually, that this is, a, this is a way that people can get power just by building off their race or whatever identity group it is, and they'll immediately get credibility just because they lean on that. So we, we, we need to, uh, my personal opinion would be to have less people coming in while we work out how to live together because we're not doing it very well and we're getting worse at it. We used to be good at it. Yep. And we're not very good at it right now. We need to get better at it. If we can We're all trying to go at the same time. Bernie. The quote of the week must come from, from superstar Senator Jacinta Price when she said, all we want to be is bloody Australian citizens and treated as such. And that's fair enough. <laughs> I mean, is that too much to ask? Yeah. Uh, you know, that that is what, I mean, what, yeah. what the original Australians need is dignity, is self-respect, is self-esteem. Um, they don't need the handouts. Many of them don't get the handouts. Uh, God knows where all the money goes. But, um, you know, we, we just need to treat people as people and, and not and not uh, black or white or whatever they may be, but treat yep. people as people. It, it's not yep. it's not all that difficult. Yeah, and if you haven't seen Jacinta Price's uh, maiden speech um, uh, as a senator, newly minted senator for the Northern Territory, I would uh, highly recommend you take the time and uh, watch it. Instead of the mainstream media news tonight at 6 p.m., uh, jump on YouTube and watch Jacinta Price's uh, maiden speech to Parliament. Very, very, very good, and uh, hopefully we can get her on the show again or maybe do some other kind of event with her to um, just explore uh, the, the profound areas of public issue and policy that, um, that she touched on so wonderfully in that maiden speech. Um, uh, Alexandra, Marshall, Ellie Melly, before we go, um, tell us what you're writing about at the moment. Actually, I'm, I'll ditch that because I just wanted to say that uh, it, it, it starts with law to fix this problem because if you don't reward people for this behaviour with positions, with money or with prestige, then people will stop, stop exploiting that hole. If you create a system where it's beneficial for you to exploit your race, then you've got to encourage more of it to happen, which is what's happening right now. Uh, humans will always exploit flaws and systems, so it comes from governments being adults and to close these loopholes so that the people have to find something else to do. And then, they, and then they'll behave much better. Uh, you can see a, a similar thing happening to our young people. It's almost never spoken about. If you look at TikTok, uh, we've rewarded people for being ill and sick and having conditions. And so what's happened is this massive uh, expansion and explosion of teenagers pretending to have severe mental disorders so they can get clicks on Facebook and TikTok and wow. followers and prestige. And it shows you how quickly you can create a, a severe situation in a population by rewarding victimhood politics. It's just another example of the exact same toxicity that's going on in race politics, but they're doing it for children looking for attention with their mental disorders. Uh, and you can read all about it. I wrote a, a piece for it for the Vegas Take. But it is horrific. And um, I didn't realise how bad the problem was. So you go and watch some of these exposés on YouTube and it's like, wow, we've actually destroyed an entire generation of young people. What are they going to be like when they grow up? Because they will be leading our governments, they'll be writing policies fairly soon and they are out of control. They've got no attachment to reality. And uh, the situation is, is falling apart from so many angles. And you're quite right to say that the, the Russia and China would love to see us collapsing the question is, why have these Marxist groups come in? Uh, are they just short-sighted and selfish where they don't care how they disempower a nation for the long term? I suspect that's the case. They're not thinking about a global future or global prosperity. They're thinking, I can exploit this little narrow niche for my own political gain. And they are not acting in the interests of the nation. They're not acting in the interests of every Australian citizen. They're acting in their own. And they are never called out for it. They are never taken mm. to task. Mm. Yep. Fantastic. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining me on the panel today. Uh, Pello Talk would be the poorer without your regular contributions. Um, and um, the, uh, the viewers uh, also uh, add me in adding their thanks to you. So thanks, Matthew Littlefield. Uh, make sure you grab uh, Matt and Tim's book, uh, Defending Conscience. 
um, how the church, how Baptist reminded the church to defy tyranny. Um, that book is available now at defendingconscience.com, where you can also get tickets to the book launch this Thursday night. That's in southeast Queensland, Matt. I was going to say, for those of you who aren't Christians, there's important sections in this book that show you how these principles became part of secular society. David actually wanted us to show, say how the world was taught this. It, maybe it was right. We went with church. But there is a lot of application there for people who just aren't, aren't just believers. And, and that's one of the powerful things about this teaching. It convinced everybody. And if you had have called it world, you wouldn't need to say that. <laughs> yes, okay. <laughs> uh, and thank you, Bernie Finn. I uh, appreciate the job you're doing as uh, recently freed from the shackles of the Liberal Party. in uh, And Victoria enjoying Parliament. it immensely, let me tell you. Enjoying it immensely. Uh, thank you very much. It's, it's, it's always uh, a, great, uh, a great joy to be with you, and uh, particularly today. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Bernie. And Alexandra Marshall, who is everywhere and on everything, but her first love will always be the good source. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, that's it for this episode. And I hope uh, that you do join us again next week, uh, Monday, and of course, uh, Monday night on the website if you um, aren't able to see the live stream. Um, and make sure you head to goodsource.news, subscribe to the newsletter. Uh, we'd like to see you on Facebook and YouTube forever. Great reach to our audience, great marketing, great um, spreading or, or to new people who've never heard of us before. But there's just no guarantee because big tech are against conservative, right-thinking people. Um, so make sure you head to the website and make sure you're on that list. Uh, and we will see you next time. Today, we need a special kind of courage. Not the kind needed in battle, but a kind which makes us stand up for everything that we know is right, everything that is true and honest. We need the kind of courage that can withstand the subtle corruption of the cynics so that we can show the world that we are not afraid of the future.